Welcome to The Geek in Review, the podcast focused on innovative and creative ideas in the legal profession. I'm Marlene Gaybauer. And I'm Greg Lambert. So we are both headed to Chicago this week for the ARC-KM conference. Yes. I am going to be moderating a panel of some great KM professionals who are are supposed to, I hope that they show up, <laughs> that uh, are going to give some real-world examples of how they are actually implementing generative AI at their firm. So I'm excited to get up there. I'm, I want to learn from you know what people are actually doing and not just uh, – writing and, and talking about, but actually seeing some some real results up there. But uh, I'm also really excited because I get to go back to Chicago, and I think there will be a little bit more time for karaoke, or Marlene, as you referred to it the last time, not really music, right? That's a- <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, you know, I'll be the judge of that when, when we're all in Chicago, so... Um, so my plans, uh, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there for the entire week. I've mentioned before that we've been doing listening sessions with our attorneys. So we have another session in our Chicago office. So I'll be doing that before the ARC conference. And I'm very excited because I'm going to be emceeing for the first time. Be emceeing for day one for the ARC KM conference. So I, I am really excited about that because I've never done it before. This will be a new experience. And we have a really great group of people, uh, both speaking and attending. I think it's going to be a, a really engaging and fun, fun conference. Yeah, I, I can't wait to have you introduced as MCMG. <laughs> Maybe you can DJ as well. I'll get up there with the records and, you know, yeah, <laughs> I did say that we should, we should have a, um, a playlist. I don't know if anybody took me up on that. Oh, I can guarantee you they did not. So. Okay, well, that's your job. That's your job. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we'll do the playlist at karaoke. All right, all right. <laughs> yeah, and, that's an, great. Enough, enough music talk. Let's uh, let's jump into our guest this week. We'd like to welcome and welcome back some old and new friends to today's episode. Colin Levy, director of legal and evangelist at Malbec, like the wine. <laughs> Ashley Carlisle, chief marketing officer at Hyperdraft. And Torna Morini, CEO and founder at Gavel. Welcome to the Geek and Review, and I'm so sorry. Um, so, Colin, I'll start with you. The obvious question. Uh, you know everybody in legal tech. Uh, you have an amazing presence on social media. For anyone who's, who's under a rock and hasn't seen Colin's posts, you know, not only are they informative, but probably some of the most honest and real ones you'll see. It's like you know Colin, even if you don't really know Colin. So you're you're writing constantly, you mentor students, and of course you have your day job. What possessed you to edit and put together the handbook of legal tech? You know, it, it kind of was a, a funny situation. The publisher who we're putting together reached out to me just seemingly out of the blue and said, hey, so, you know, we're thinking about putting together a book on legal tech, and we've heard that, you know, you're the guy to talk to about it. And I'm like, yes, there are plenty of others, but sure. Thank you for reaching out. And and so I had a conversation with them and I was talking, giving them some ideas about kind of what I'd like to see in a book about it and how I would put together and all of that. And me in my pen, uh, tendency to talk too much opened up my big mouth and said, hey, so who's writing this book? And the publisher said, oh, yeah, we don't have anyone. We're thinking about, you know, it being an edited volume. 
And me stupidly said, because I don't have enough to do, said, oh, well, I'd be happy to edit it for you. And they were more than happy to hear that. I then realized in part what I just signed up for, which basically was essentially herding cat. Yeah. And very smart, very busy, very, di- very, uh, um, well, not everyone, but some difficult ones to contribute. And so that's really kind of what it was, was um, essentially a herding cats exercise about legal tech. And it was a lot of fun, but I, again, it was, I didn't quite know what I was signing up for when I kind of volunteered to edit the book, but that's kind of been the story of my career for the most part, is I tend to just say yes to things and all of a sudden I'm doing yeah. things not fully understanding the breadth of what I'm about to embark on. Yeah, no no good deed goes unpunished when it comes to <laughs> pretty much anything in legal, I, I think, and that includes publishing. That's so. true. Well, Colin, do you mind describing the book, uh, uh, kind of how you decided to put the book together, how it's organized, and, and how the, the topics are covered? Sure. So, you know, when I was thinking about a book on legal tech, because legal tech is a rather broad area and it's complex and dynamic. Uh, I really wanted this book to be really kind of a introduction to the world of legal tech, but be one that was thorough and comprehensive. So I kind of viewed it as being a sort of a legal tech handbook, if you will, a legal tech textbook that can introduce you to sort of some of the key areas within legal tech with chapters written by the key experts in their respective fields, because I certainly don't know everything and I'm always learning and no one knows everything. So I really thought, you know what? I think it would work best as a book and be most helpful if it was organized kind of around the key different pillars of legal tech and be written by people who have lived and breathed those various areas. And so that's really kind of what the intent was behind the book. And thankfully, I was lucky enough to be able to get, you know, some of the leading experts to contribute their expertise to the book. So what was your process to kind of, because legal tech's such a, I mean, it's such a broad such area. A broad, um, huge. How, I mean, did you kind of pick the the writers that you wanted and let them pick the topics or did you pick the topics and then chase the, the, the writers? What, what was your process there? So the process was I kind of came up with a very broad outline of kind of what I thought would make sense for a book based off of what I kind of explained earlier as it being sort of comprehensive introduction. And then I went about thinking, okay, if I was going to learn about this subject or that subject, who would I want to turn to, to learn about those respective subjects? And so then I decided, all right, well, I'm going to go out of a limb and reach out to these folks and see if they'd be willing to contribute, which in all cases they were. And, and so went from there, the challenge really was uh, not necessarily getting them to agree to contribute, but actually getting the chapter in, in a timely manner, because, you know, look, we're all busy people. We've got a million things going on. So that was the real challenge, hence the reference earlier about cat herding. So really that kind of was where I was coming from in terms of putting the book together. Uh, and I'm really happy with how it came together especially given how sort of quickly it came together as well. So I'm really proud of it. But honestly, yeah, it really wasn't just kind of my project. It was a project of everyone who helped write chapters for it. And and that really made me really happy because it showed to me and hopefully those who read the book, the strength of the community that makes up legal tech and how we all come together with different perspectives and different experiences 
to really share what we've learned and what we are learning. Yeah, I agree that this is a, a pretty good community for sharing and, and for volunteering. Sometimes, again, like I said, the, the no good deed goes unpunished, but uh, um, I do find that probably nine times out of 10, if we reach out to somebody and ask them to either come on the podcast or ask them for help or bounce ideas off of them, we get good responses. So I, you know, I, I don't think you necessarily see that in every community, especially in, in legal, but it, but it definitely helps us. True, true. Just did that today. Just reached out about a podcast idea and just got a couple of responses. So cool. Dorna, I'm going to shift to you. So I've read the background about how you began your company, Gavel, and that it has to do with your passion for and work in pro bono. Can you share that story with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So I practiced law for many years, almost a decade, and I was at a big firm, but I also did a lot of work pro bono. And one of the areas that I did a lot of pro bono work in was with domestic violence survivors. And what I was finding with a lot of these cases, we, we worked with specific legal aid organizations with our firm in conjunction with them on these pro bono cases. And one of the things that I was finding was that I was not able to serve as many of the clients that I wanted to. And with the clients that I was able to serve, I wasn't able to spend as much of my time on the parts of the case that really mattered most and required my my expertise on. So going with a client to court to represent them at a hearing, doing taking on their appeal, representing them on fact-intensive or legal-intensive issues. And so what I wanted to do initially was actually build a very specific niche tool for domestic violence law in California and in, and for specific counties. I wanted to build something sort of like TurboTax, which I assume all of you are familiar with, that would allow my clients to get onto the platform, answer questions about themselves, their matter, be routed down different paths based on the answers that they had provided, be given instructions and videos that I would create. And then at the end of each phase of their case, be able to generate documents for that part of the matter. And so uh, what I did at the time was I actually built, I, I, I did not know how to code. And so I got together with a friend of mine who was an engineer. And I said, will you help me build this exact platform? So like TurboTax for domestic violence law. And we did. We built that. We launched it. We actually got quite a bit of traction for that tool. We had consumers using the platform. And within the first three months, we had 1,400 users on the platform actively using it on a daily basis. What we were starting to find was that it wasn't just those consumers who needed this tool. It was actually other attorneys who were working both in the legal aid space and outside of legal aid space who wanted to build similar workflows, workflows that would go from client intake to document automation to really everything that you, you wanted to interact with the client on. And so that was really the genesis. Our, what we do at Gavel now is we are a platform on which you can build these types of legal products, anything from pure document automation to full legal product. And we still work a lot with pro bono um, and legal aid organizations. We mostly give, give them our platform at cost, but that also enables us to, to reach so many more of the for-profit attorneys who want to scale out their practices. So, I mean, you, you know, with Gavel, you've literally transformed the workflow regarding domestic violence representation. So that's amazing. Given that, what do you make of the state of the legal ecosystem today? You know, where do you see the biggest areas of opportunity? 
Yeah, that's a really good question because I think there's a lot of new technology being introduced, obviously with advancements to AI. However, I think there's also so much low-hanging fruit that has just not been adopted. And, you know, this is, we'll talk about this in a bit, but that's why I think I was so interested in writing this chapter on document automation. And when Colin approached me is that I see document automation, and that's, you know, that's what we do at Gamble, as being the lowest hanging fruit that can bring so much efficiency gain and just transformation of a legal practice. So that's one area where we feel there's a lot of advancement to be done. I'm curious, like the fact that there's so much low hanging fruit out there that sort of hasn't been grabbed, if if you will. I mean, what's the reason for that? You know, do you think it's the maybe lack of revenue or is the, the technology that complicated? Um, you know, what's the reason? I think there just really hadn't been much of an impetus for attorneys to change their business model. Whereas now I, I see it as being two forces, one which is a push and one which is a pull. The push being that there's more competitive pressure on most, especially on on small practices because of pricing transparency. So they're being pushed towards new forms of running their practices. But then there's also a pull of alternative business models, which are not just being pushed on attorneys by their clients, but also being a really an extreme revenue generating source where you can scale out and scale up your practice, serve so many more clients, generate more revenue, be more profitable, while still expending the same number of hours or less of your own time. And this goes back to your question, Marlene, about legal aid. This all stemmed for us and my interest in the legal tech sphere stemmed from the need uh, and the access to justice gap. But the access to justice gap can also be met in a way that benefits for-profit attorneys and allows them to generate revenue. Uh, I don't know about you, Marlene, but I I could feel the passion there. Love it. Love it. <laughs> so, uh, Ashley, I want I want to turn to you. And uh, before we begin, I want I want to mention this is now officially your third time on the Geek and Review. And I'm not sure if we've told you before, but uh, uh, we have the five time rule now that uh, you can you can either get your choice of a tiara or a t shirt. Uh, as a five-time guest, so uh, start thinking about uh, what it is. It's <laughs> something that to reach wanting. for. <laughs> <laughs> Only if you wear was... it as well, Greg. I will wear the uh, tiara oh. proudly if you. Oh yeah, Marlene, wear it with me. Yeah, I, 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 Marlene's probably surprised I'm not wearing wearing one right now. I never give up an opportunity yeah, to wear either. a tiara me ever. Either, I'm excited. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Ashley, your journey also wasn't necessarily a straight uh, trajectory uh, to your current role. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, give us a, a little bit of uh, background on you and, and how you think that may have uh, strengthened you professionally to, to end up where you are now. Sure. Thanks so much for having me back for a third time. Hopefully I'll be on my best behavior and I will make it to number five for the tiara party. Yeah, I think the really cool thing about legal tech, and that's one thing that we really enjoyed our team while Tony was doing the chapter for the handbook of legal tech is meeting more people through Colin is most of us didn't think we'd be here. Most of us were attorneys who practiced and saw, you know, our industry really could benefit from certain innovative things and we followed our passions. And so I think as a result, you end up with, even in Dorna's answer, you could see how passionate is she about how about these issues and, you know, changing our industry for the better. So you end up with people who are really just like strengthened in the mission and laser focused on pushing things forward, but never thought they'd be here. 
So I think my story is a very like legal tech story in the way that I don't think attorneys go to law school thinking they'll be in legal tech. Maybe the next generation will go and maybe have those aspirations, but that wasn't mine. Um, at 11, I decided I was going to be an attorney. I do not know why. And I worked towards that goal and then up in practice at Kirkland and Goodwin and the debt finance group. And it was there that I met Tony Tai, our CEO, who contributed the chapter for this book. And he had already built Hyperdraft. He called it Serenity Now. It's a bad sign field joke, um, deep cut. You, I think Colin's blog has a wonderful explanation of kind of the origins of Hyperdraft through Tony's eyes. Um, but he created it while in practice because he started his career as a software engineer. And when he came to law, he thought, well, these fancy lawyers have to have fancy tools. And when he showed up, he was very sad at the fact that they didn't have fancy <laughs> tools. And so he built it to kind of solve his own problems. And so when I met him at Goodwin about, I guess, 2018, 2019, he was kind of the crazy computer whiz associate that had like 15 monitors in his office. And I'd walk by and be like, who is this kid? And eventually through talking to him, I think our whole floor at Goodwin and all of our clients quickly realized what he was building how cool it was, and it kind of accidentally became a business. And I think similar to Dorna's story, um, I think that's kind of where some of the most mission-focused businesses come from, is kind of actually stumbling onto it and having the problem yourself. And so I think, you know, that's Tony's story, and indirectly that's my story as well, because when I saw his product and saw our clients' reactions to it just kind of casually in the firm, it made me kind of think long and hard about my practice and how uh, me and my colleagues were really just doing things to do things, not really thinking intentionally or thinking of ourselves as a business unit and kind of how much better our lives could be and how much better our output could be if we did kind of use more of Tony's type of tech and other innovative stuff. So I think really the mission strengthens us all. And I love that we kind of all accidentally end up on this path, hopefully pushing it forward. So Colin had highlighted a little bit earlier about just how much work goes into putting together a book. And, you know, I'm not sure if everybody knows just how much work it is. And, you know, you both are busy professionals. You have your day jobs. You know, we'll pose the, the same question. You know, what inspired you to write, you know, to take times out of your very busy schedules and give the time to write the chapters in these books? Dorn, I'll start with you. Yeah, definitely. So um, I, I really hope that I'm not one of the cats that Colin referred to earlier, uh, but he's shaking his he head. He wouldn't now. have asked you on the podcast if you were <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so you're right. Uh, this is, I, I, I'm very busy, but this is a topic that I care a lot about. And I think for me, one of the things that we, that feels like it's the biggest obstacle for attorneys in adopting technology is understanding process and the road that's ahead of them. And so Really, this this chapter is sort of almost a sum from my chapter is is a summary of everything that I thought I would want to impart on someone who is about to embark on the document automation journey and what they should be how they should prepare themselves beforehand, what they should expect for during that whole process, and then what they should expect after that process. Because I I do feel like I am very well positioned to write this because of all the attorneys that I interact with on a daily basis regarding document automation. And so I felt that if I could contribute this article to Colin's book, hopefully people who read it would start their own projects and that would ramp up the the future of legal and how fast people are adopting this type of technology. 
And I think for our team, we have a very similar answer. Um, you know, every, and Greg and Marlene, you guys speak at these conferences and you know this, every legal conference, legal media, what have you, the elephant in the room for the past two to five years has always come back to CLM, um, contract management. Even if you start the conversation with document automation or document generation, what have you, somehow it always ends up into a wider conversation of what is it? What's happening? What's working? Implementation failures, what have you. So when Colin reached out to Tony about doing a chapter on contract management, our team was very excited because we have conversations about this all the time with friends, with colleagues, with clients, and we've never really had an opportunity to put it all in one place where people can reference it or people that maybe we don't personally know could have the benefit of the knowledge that we have cumulatively learned through either putting hyperdraft into existing CLMs or using different functionalities on our platform. So it's kind of Tony's dump, especially as an engineer plus lawyer of starting big picture, like as an engineer, what would engineers describe CLM as? Because I think a lot of times lawyers are describing it. So it kind of starts there and then goes into the process of what he would want to know if he was just starting with contract management and that category at the beginning, which as we all know, there's a lot of people that still don't understand the pre-work that has to be done in the process ahead of time. And so um, I really hope that when people read the chapter, they kind of get to learn the easy way instead of the hard way, because we're putting a lot of information to kind of help navigate that pre-work and the standardization and figure out how to make the most of your time with that category. So I know, uh, again, this was a, a big collaboration in, in Colin. I, I know you headed it up, but everyone had had it substantial piece uh, to contribute. So I really want to kind of back up a little bit and Colin, I'll start with you. Uh, what was your favorite part about writing and, and editing and publishing this? What Can you tell us a little bit about the, the experience and some of the things that you really enjoyed? Sure. I think probably the first thing that comes to mind is the fact that I was able to bring together so many different friends, some of whom knew one another, some of whom didn't, to this project because something that drives me perhaps more than anything else really is to grow and to support the legal tech community. So this type of project really was a great way of doing just that. And so it really was a lot of fun to be able to do that. And in addition, it was great to, you know, kind of really see different people's perspectives on issues and see kind of how they thought about things, how they wrote about things, how they kind of viewed things. And that was really a lot of fun. Uh, and then the last part of it was just seeing it all sort of just come together as a cohesive thing, I think was really enjoyable probably for all of us because it was a lot of work, but it also was something that was aimed at a purpose greater than just sort of ourselves. It was aimed at supporting informing and inspiring others. And so it really was, I think, a great achievement. And thankfully, everyone tolerated my pestering of them for their chapters and my attempts to, you know, guide people to the finish line. But it really was a lot of fun. And it just reinforced, I think, the the kinship I feel with everyone that was a part of it. Yeah. And, and Colin, you left out a, a big piece of this as well is that uh, you weren't just working on this book. You also had another book you were working on. So how, uh, tell us a little bit enough. about the other book and, <laughs> and how you juggled that, uh, both of those. Sure. Well, the funny thing is the other book, the one that I wrote myself, started back in 2020 before this one was even kind of a 
a project. And as it just so happened, both were coming together around the same time, which was a bit nuts. And I, I felt like I was kind of, you know, almost schizophrenic with all due respect to those who have schizophrenia in terms of just the frenetic pace that I had bouncing back and forth between everything. Uh, but it really was a lot of fun. Um, and for me, writing has always been something that has been both fun, but also therapeutic for me. And so I always did want to write a book for myself more than anything else, mainly as just sort of a, you know, ultimate achievement in writing. And I didn't know how exactly that was going to happen. As it turned out, I found a great editor who was able to take my mess of papers and half-written thoughts and what have you and turn it into a cohesive book. And I'm very excited about sharing that one as well, which while also about legal tech takes sort of a more sort of notes from the front lines approach to legal tech and that it, it kind of looks at it from sort of the people doing things and from the stories and lessons that have been learned in the field. So it's kind of a little more of a thematic sort of practical book, whereas the handbook of legal tech is really aimed at a more sort of thorough grounding. So that in some, in many ways, I would argue that they would be complementary to one another. And, and Ashley, I know Tony wrote the, or at least his name is on there, but apparently he needed two handlers. He needed Colin and you uh, to do this. So how, how much fun was it to, to pester Tony to write this chapter? Greg, I mean, you said it and I didn't. The transcript will show that. Thank you very much for that. Um, you know, I think one, Colin, I think, said this previously in this conversation. He knows everybody in legal tech. And, you know, oftentimes our team is just so heads down building and, you know, deploying and implementing whatever that we don't really get a chance to connect with people who can inspire us and understand our struggles. So it has been really nice, whether it be virtually or in person, to have Colin connect us to this community. So writing the book in that way was good. As for kind of the pestering, I guess it was all worth it because at the end of the day, I really hope, and I know Colin probably has aspirations to do more of this, I hope this is used as a textbook. I hope more law students and other people do use this as a resource. And I think a big part of what we're really trying to solve for as well as just the technology itself is increased tech literacy with lawyers. Um, and so I think all of us kind of wrote this in a very entertaining but informative approach. So I hope that more lawyers, you know, read stuff like this and kind of aren't as scared of technology as they probably are today. You know, most of us went to law school to avoid math and what have you. And I think tech kind of falls in that category as well. So anything that bridges the gap is worth pestering or the work to our team. Dorna, what, what was your favorite part of the, the experience? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I have to echo what, some of what was already said. I actually turned in my chapter to Colin, I think, like a few days before my baby was due or, or actually Ooh. born and after my baby was wow. due uh, this year. And so it, was, it felt like a very nice like cap to that process. But it also helped me just continue to stay involved in everything that's part of the community and all of the people that Colin has really been able to to round up and the the community that's really centered around Colin, honestly. And sort of like Ashley said, I think a lot of times when I, I talk to a lot of law students and I oftentimes will refer them to Colin, I'm like, you should go follow him on LinkedIn because he has so many great, great insights. If you're going to follow someone about legal tech and about practice. And now we have this handbook where it, there are experts in every single one of these areas of law. And if you want to do a deeper dive than like your daily social updates, you can pick that handbook up, read it from front to back or take it from piece to piece. 
And so just seeing that piece come out of the process that went into building and writing this book and Colin putting it all together has been really incredible. And I hope I'm, I'm excited to get it physically in my hands. <laughs> so I think we can, I think we all agree that, that the Handbook of Legal Tech is really a great resource for all attorneys. And I think particularly attorneys getting into the legal field to sort of just see sort of what's out there and how things are, are changing. What advice do each of you give them about how to navigate and use legal tech? Ashley, I'll start with you. Sure. I There's so much I could do, but I'm not going to soapbox all of you. So I guess I'll, there's three kind of random things that are kind of floating around my brain because I've had conversations relevant to it in the past week. The first one is I think lawyers come with the preconceived notion that everything in their experience should be mirrored in their software selection process, which doesn't make sense to me because none of us know anything about technology or software. So they come and they're like, I expect this process will go a certain way. And if it doesn't, I'm very frustrated. And so, I'm out. <laughs> exactly. And I want it now. And I want you to make this make sense to me now. And I think something we try to encourage people is like, this is a different thing that unfortunately law school and legal practice has not prepared you for. You need to have an open mind starting at the research phase. You need to not get discouraged. You need to really not have expectations on it. And you need to take your time with intentionality because, you know, this isn't one of those things like, a, you know, an MSA or a credit agreement that you can turn around in two days. This is something that you need to research, think why you're researching it and really think what's best for you instead of just following everybody else. And so kind of getting away all your preconceptions, having intentionality as you're researching, and then just reading people who spend a lot of time in our industry. Bob Ambrosi, artificial lawyer. I think technically artificial lawyer is on sabbatical, but he keeps posting. So, you know, that's still active in some capacity. Um, I think Stephanie at Legal Tech News does a great job. There's so many people that are so passionate about the space, including even above the law, that even if you just periodically check those resources, um, you're going to get some information and just kind of keeping an open mind and keeping intentional of what you're looking for and not getting frustrated, like you said, Marlene, because that's the main complaint I'm sure all of us get. It's just a lot of frustrations from people being like, well, I want to understand now. I don't want to sit through all these demos. I don't want to do X, Y, and Z. It's like, you need to come with a totally new perspective. <laughs> I want it to be easy. <laughs> Dorna, um, how about you? Yeah. So one thing I often tell both lawyers and law students or really anyone who's embarking on whether it's a legal tech journey or just implementing some basic software within their practice is think big, start small and iterate rapidly. So it's amazing to have a really, really big vision for what you want to accomplish and where you want to be one year, five years, 10 years down the line. But the very first steps often have to be very small. Um, so you may be doing something within a very small part of your practice, a specific, specific area of law, a specific jurisdiction. And then the last piece, which is iterate rapidly, is the most important part if you're going to start small. Because by starting small, you give yourself the opportunity to make tweaks, whether it's to discard or adopt new things, do that very on a very frequent basis and to reassess what's working for you and what isn't. And that's how you're going to get to that bigger vision. And Colin, well... We'll, we'll finish with you. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think that both Ashley and Doran have said really smart, pragmatic, uh, and practical things. What I would simply add is before you even get to the point of kind of looking at tech or making tech or what have you, know thyself. And what I mean by that is know sort of your 
purpose and wanting to do whatever it is you want to do with respect to legal tech, whether it's learning about it, creating it, experimenting with it, what have you, because it's easy to get overwhelmed. And so the way to counter that sense and that risk of being overwhelmed is to be as focused as you can and purposeful with respect to what you're trying to do. And that's what I say all the time to anyone, whether it's a law student or a lawyer or whomever, who is trying to learn more about legal tech or trying to do something in the space is know exactly what it is that you that is driving you and what it is that you ultimately want to achieve. And let the answers to those questions, and you want to have answers, guide you initially and then be open to shifting focus as you start to learn more and proceed along that journey. But you really have to start with knowing really yourself and, and why, because if you start with kind of Oh, I just want to learn about it. <laughs> Good luck with that. There's just a lot out there and it's always changing and very dynamic. And while, you know, the books are great for learning a little bit, they also in some ways point to the depth and breadth of the space, which is why, again, I think it's important to be focused initially and really hone in on the question of why and the answer to that question. And Colin, I'm going to kind of turn that upside down on you and, and, and ask you about the fact that we use so many legal technology tools, and I don't think that lawyers and legal professionals really kind of comprehend how many different tools uh, that they may use every day. But if you were to talk with someone, let's, let's say it's, it's a, a law student that's about to enter what beyond Microsoft Word and uh, and Outlook and X? Excellent. Great. And as always, the music you hear is from Jerry David DeSicca. Buy his music. <laughs> thanks, Jerry. <laughs> yeah, he's got a new album now, so go, go mm-hmm. buy it. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone. Devil's back.